You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Yeah, I really was interested in coming into the store and then feeling what Al was putting out and what he'd put into that store so much. I used to live around the corner and never went into that store. And yeah. I feel really bad about that because um, I feel like a lot of the, what he was saying was resonated with me, and especially when I was living in a share house of six plus um, very artsy type <laughs> yeah. zone down in um, Brunswick. Um, but yeah, his integrity to dressing up the store the way he did, understanding the stories of the artists mm. who were exhibiting their wares there it was very much a... A modern take on it was a cross between, for my read, of a of a gallery and and a, a wares um, a wares store in a lot of ways. Yep, for sure. Um, all the things in there are represented by one person or a small group of people, and Al seemed to know them intimately um, with a passion. But what was really nice to hear was him um, sort of starting to shoot off another sprig of his own creative flair For sure. um, and start to blossom in that space, which was really nice to see in his eyes because you could tell he's quite excited about that and obviously existing in a space, promoting and, and selling a lot of people's words, it was nice to hear him um, starting to get excited about his own work. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, I kind of, I never really had thought about that, you know, in terms of kind of, you know, kind of that his store is art, but then also what he's actually trying to do with his own stuff is art. But then also kind of how, you know, inside his neighborhood, he's also kind of, he's, you know, like I kind of left that thinking like, you know, I know, you know, I think I know Al really, really well. You know, I've spent a lot of time, (laughs) many, many hours, you know, driving different places with Al, kind of having deep and meaningfuls about all different types of stuff. But the part that kind of clicked for me during that whole thing was really that what he's actually doing is kind of like he's curating three things, right? So it's kind of there's a there's a sensibility to him that I've always known in terms of kind of like he's you know he's got a he's got a he's got a sense of style, right? That is I think is really rare in in this world for someone who's kind of not even like fussy or finicky, but just has their own thing. Right, but I kind of never really thought until we were kind of sitting there, and he started to talk about his art, and then kind of like almost like he's becoming one of the artists that he's kind of actually represented and curated. And I was like, this is really really cool, right? To kind of see a man who's kind of done that for others, and now is actually starting to do it for himself, but kind of almost coming back to where he was when he was, you know, like eighteen, nineteen, and kind of going on going off to school. It was yeah, it was beautiful, it was a really really beautiful moment. So um, where where we sit, um, I'm sort of in transition at the moment. I've uh, been running this store for for nine years, and um, it's there to support creative people from the local community. So we sort of say our basic remit is that you know our product comes from a 10k radius. Um, so we're kind of like paddock to plate for uh, design goods. Um, and having said that, we do have some imported things, but their ethics have got to be aligned with ours. Um, but the reason I say I'm in transition is that um, I'm still doing that, but in the last three years I met someone really special that I'm in a permanent relationship with and um, they've encouraged me to reinvestigate my uh, artistic background. So prior to uh, any of this happening, um, I studied to be a secondary 
school art and craft teacher at a time when the institutions allowed you to kind of either choose to be an art practitioner or a teacher and I didn't choose the teaching one I chose the practitioner one Hmm. so I'm going back to practice so uh, in the immediately after that in the mid 80s I was a menswear designer doing independent um, menswear and I've got a couple of pieces in the collection of the NGV Um, and uh, so I'm looking at that making things again Uh, and and actually over this summer I spent uh, two weeks in the city of Amnabad in Gujarat in Sydney in in India um, on on an art project where we'd been invited to go over and work with local artisans which is kind of what we do here which is why the person invited us to do that Um, but on our own practice and uh, I came back and made a garment from the fabric that I printed while I was there Mm. unreal what so it was a lover that you've met um, and a person that's really inspired you to jump back in there did you have an itch throughout to try and I did I mean I think the thing is that over a 26 year period I was bringing up my I was playing the role of father and bringing up my children with my ex-wife and um, there wasn't room for both of us to be creative people even though that's what we both were Um, So that was her role, and my role was to be the provider. So it was a very picket-fence kind of relationship Mm. in that sense. Um, And even though, um, you know, I always tried to make the roles that I had kind of reflect that part of my past, which wasn't necessarily good for me in a in kind of a uh, typical sort of workplace arrangement because I would kind of be off on the side rather than really focused on what my employer necessarily wanted. Not just because, not because. I was trying to deviate the role, but because naturally that's where my my mind would go. So, for instance, I worked for four or five years for Calvin Klein Jeans in Australia, and um, I was the marketing manager and product manager at one stage. And, you know, so I was really obsessed with the way things were made, the quality of the garments that our, our Italian um, parent company made. And that was part of the reason why I was employed, to 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 communicate that. But it wasn't necessarily... a the most commercial outlook on the product which they probably really needed more from a marketing manager so mm. yeah so you know like the reason why i, I certainly had an inkling but you know that my life was in a different place where i couldn't really fully express that and probably you know I, I probably started in about 2015 i was living by myself and i started to pull out artwork i'd kept from years before 30 years before and i started putting it up to see what i felt about it you know in the present um and to kind of feel more confident with that and then i did a backdrop illustration on a large scale for a pop-up store we had here in 2016 and i really i like the experience of actually putting you know making a work was was amazing and so i was like oh wow i really really want to do that more um i didn't think i'd necessarily start making um uh, apparel again or you know using working in textiles again but i knew i wanted to to be creative again in a in a sort of a self-expressive way so um so the inkling was it got stronger as time went by and that, that responsibility wasn't there for me to you know play the role of provider um in the same way so um yeah it sort of was always there but it's it's resurfaced and certainly with the encouragement of someone you know before there was no encouragement for me to do that now there is a lot of encouragement for me to do that and for me to kind of 
really upskill because there's been such a long gap in terms of being able to communicate what it is to be in the art world now. So, um, so that's what's happening, and it feels really great. It's you know I, I sort of started about three years ago making a few things, and I um, uh, didn't. Uh, it's taken me that long to kind of get my hands around the tools again in a, in a kind of way where you're. You, you feel like they're a part of you rather than, you know, you're kind of working on them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And where do you, where do you think, um, art and artistry and kind of artisanship is actually at, at, at this point in time? I mean, obviously the, the store that you've created has become really a central point and it's really, you know, it's, it's now internationally famous in terms of where it actually, actually sits because I think of your, um, your ability to actually curate and actually be able to kind of find these really, really great stories. But equally as you immerse yourself more in kind of the, really the, the artist side of yourself is it. I'm always interested about that balance between kind of how you view where the actual practice is at mm-hmm. and equally the practice that you're actually starting to undertake. Um, I think um, we've gone through, I mean, it's all, you know, great practice has always been there no matter what the time. Um, but particularly over the last 10 years, there's been a really strong interest in in uh, personal-based practice that's mm. sort of pushed into small-volume production. And I think the difference between what I do and what the store does is that we're really focused on people with great skill but also in the ability to replicate. So we're not, we're not confined by um, uh, a person who can only make one thing at a time. We're mostly focused on people who have the capacity to repeat the thing they've made um, but not at a kind of uh, multi multinational corporation level. You know, it's not being palmed on to another factory. They're still doing it, but um, but they have that ability to replicate and to to create um, a pr- uh, you know production of a sort. Whereas what I'm doing for myself, the difference is that I'm not looking to do that at all. I'm actually looking to make one thing or several things that are all different. Um, uh, that still ex- uh, are show that I have skill in that area, but um, I'm not. It's not really. A, it's not a commercial product in the way that these things are. So I guess the people that are making things in here, whilst they are an expression of themselves, they're also very aware of who they're making, who their potential audience is. Whereas I'm not so interested. I mean, I do care about an audience, but but it's not my my main reason for making something when I'm in the studio. It's it's purely. For me, and if someone else likes it, that's great. And how does that feel making something for you, and then being able to publicly show that? Have you had those moments? Well, and is that a, a bit- lot of that's going to start happening. I've got, I'm involved in a show, uh, the first one in the new realm um, next month, um, quite close by, where I'd made some carry items for an established artist who was going to have an exhibition in Shanghai last year. On his way, he went to Turkey with his wife. His wife got cancer. show got cancelled, but he's going to show it here as a thank you for all the people that contributed to the project. Um, so that'll be my first outing, um, which will be interesting. Um, and then uh, September, there's a group of us who are exhibiting at the Cunahan Gallery in Brunswick, which is all about the influence of um, migration and uh, gentrification on food. Um, so it's called um, Urban Eats, and um, and so there's a bunch of us who are all responding to food, if you like, in in different ways. So I, I don't know. I, I, it's a while between um, 
that uh, feeling of of, ex- of of putting something out there and seeing what happens. I mean, it always goes you know all number of ways. So I have no expectation of adulation or anything like that. It's just it depends on who looks at it and what the day's like. But um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's great. I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, so it's a very it's such a it is the same for the people who we stock, but um, because it's kind of the mainstay of what they're doing is 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 reaching out to an audience um, uh, because that's how they're going to make a living. Um, you know, it, it, they have a different expectation from it. Yeah, that's that's really really interesting. And as you as you start to explore um, your own kind of artistic practice, I mean, does it does it take you back to where this all began for you, Alice? Or like, are there moments when you kind of first started to think, like, I do actually want to create things? Like, what what drove you in the first place to actually go to kind of explore doing? Art and design at school, and then you know, potentially oh, I think it was, teaching it. Art and design at school were the things that I was most comfortable doing, and I was, you know, I'd always been interested in them as a kid. I grew up in a family where, not my direct, my direct, uh, my not my mum, but her siblings or one sibling in particular that we used to spend a lot of time with. Her older sister was, you know, in that kind of really expressive new period in the late sixties and early seventies. She had a daughter who would have been in her. 20s at the time who went to the same sort of uh, teaching institution that I did strangely um, and so they were you know painting and you know she my aunt was involved in with friends who had like a pottery group and they would dig clay out of a dam and they'd refine it and make things and so as a kid I just wanted to do all those things that was really exciting for me at home it was really frustrating I was telling Ed my partner recently that you know to do it, it was so hard to make anything in my home from family of origin because there was only one pair of scissors and they were blunt and so you know like as a little kid i just get blisters on my fingers trying to cut stuff and so it was really you know like to be able to do those things so when i got to particularly when i got to high school i was really fortunate that had a whole art wing uh, you know they had like wood shop and they had metal and they had ceramics and you know painting and it was fabulous so you know like i was just in my element um, so yeah, there was just there was something that I don't even know why I can't tell you why I was drawn to that. I just was and mm. um, working now. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I certainly. I don't. I, I think you know when I was producing garments in the eighties, there was a there was a lot of ego that needed stroking that was was you know involved in that. Like I made things because I wanted people to react to me when I when initially when I made things that were just for me to wear and I'd wear them out once a week or whatever and I was really hoping I'd get a reaction from people I was really into that and then I sort of took that into making ranges of clothes so you know it was, it was very much trying to marry the personal expressive with a commercial product you know I certainly I certainly um, wanted to make money. I can. I still got notebooks where I worked out if I sold this many of that, you know, like you know, this, I'd have X amount of dollars, you know. So I was really keen to make it commercial and viable, but it was really tied to me personally, which isn't possibly a really great combination of things to run a business off. So I'm not. I don't have that expectation any longer. I can just make it and enjoy the process of making it or resolving. So, like you know, the bag project that's going to be exhibited in April. It was just a really great you know resolve something through design project. Um, and you know, I would never. I couldn't have done that in my twenties. I would have been trying to impose myself on it too much. And I think you know, there's a lot of stuff I learned when I was with you at Elmwood about 
you know, what the difference between expressive arts and design really are and that I didn't know then. So now I've, I can see that dichotomy really clearly. Mm. Interesting. And navigate that effectively by the sounds of it. And it's nice, I suppose, you're in a position where you have an established business, you're in an art scene in a way, yeah. um, and then also in a place where you can express yourself without having necessarily the financial pressures on yourself to do that totally i mean i'm also like i i mean uh, you know i it, there's probably a bit of um you know there's probably i probably have to I, I certainly know i have to do more work and show more but i mean i'm not i'm not going to do it i i mean yes i'm going to do it because it's what i want to do but i'm also aware that the art world is part of the economy and i'm not and not i'm not thinking that i'm going to do it without getting something back eventually i mean mm. it's just going to take me it'll take me a while um but it's not the it's not the main motivation so there will be that side will creep into it a bit um but it, but i think mm, going forwards um eddie and i will always have some sort of retail interface um because it's what we both know really well and we work particularly well together here um, and wherever we and however we express that, we'll continue to do it because I think the likelihood of us making money out of that is greater than out of our own work. And I wouldn't really want, as you say, put, want to put all the pressure on that. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. I mean, where does kind of um, where does local in your mind come into it? So, kind of, we were we were speaking before that you source a lot of things from kind of a ten k ten k radius, and equally, um, we were talking before we even started around, you know, some of your actual trip to to India, mm. kind of being immersed in an actual kind of local local community, and actually picking up some of the crafts crafts that were there. So, I mean, when I say the word local, what what pops into your head? How do you define that? Uh, I think it's a community. Um, so we're very fortunate, or I'm very fortunate, that this store happens to be in a place where communities are really strong, has, a, has real strength. So, you know, where we were having a beer and the people next door, they're all friends, you know, and so much so that we could, the store has produced uh, like a local map because so many people ask us, you know, where else should we go? And so we know all those people because we're friends with them. And, and, and you know, whether it's the guys who print off all of these you know, high quality art prints at Hound and Bone, you know, they're all part of that community. So um, it's, I think that, you know, like moving away from here, which will happen eventually is, is going to be hard because we're so, we really love that community. But um, community, local can also mean, so it's really interesting with Flora's show that's on at the moment. Flora's based in Perth. Mm. So she came to us through that community, through that idea of local. So there's an established illustrator here who is like the go-to book designer for most of like, say, Hardy Grant titles and some of the bigger publishers. And she introduced me to Flora a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, and so, you know, it's it's 
come from that community, from that local um, that we have this show now. So, you know, the, the fact that she lives on the other side of the country is is kind of rendered null and void because, you know, she's part of the connects that are out of this local area. Mm. So that's what I think about when I think about local. And so the same was true in Amnabad. So we met uh, this academic who we... Um, who was showing us a book that he'd produced about people's memories of a mill that used to be there. Um, and we were intrigued by the book and really equally intrigued by Lakesh. And so, um, you know, he said, well, why don't you come? Because he understood what we do, which is to work with local artisans. And he said, why don't you come and work with my artisans? You know, because a lot of people... there. Were, so there are other people that he could have asked, but they're all people who've had an established relationship with India on a much more... Um, uh, uh, commercial or um, uh, transactional basis, so they go there to get something done, and the people that you know they're appreciative of the people that do it, but the people that do it are just the people that do it. As you were saying, you know, like a lot of big international labels will come to my city and they will get particularly, you know, it's a textile-rich history there, so you know they'll get textile things done and. You know, the artisans will just be re- rendered as some exotic locale in photographs that, you know, to talk about that range. They won't actually get any, they won't become more visible or it won't help them to cut out the middleman. They'll, they'll always be pushed to the back. So he said, come and do something. So he could see what we're doing relates to what he's doing, which is trying to promote these people and give them access to, you know, higher value dollars. Um, so the idea was that we would go, we would create artworks, we would exhibit with him and other people there and here, um, but always with the focus on the people that had helped us make the things. Mm, developing partnerships. It sounds like you were really good at um, identifying an ecosystem in a way and, and working within that. I was wondering, I didn't catch where you grew up and what sort of community existed where you did grow up. Um, I grew up in the southern Bayside suburbs between Sandringham and Beaumaris. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know about about too much of an ecosystem there. Uh, you know, like uh, I was probably, you know, well, you know, I had the usual friend networks and, you know, I wouldn't have known about the peninsula if it wasn't for some of them. Um, they were my early surfing buddies, but... Um, I, I didn't really share a lot with them and it took me, as much as I still like them, um, I really, it really wasn't till I went to university that I discovered who I really was and what I was really capable of. So the first year was very transitional where I was kind of like, I just wanted to do kind of wood projects like all my mates who were, you know, training to be chippies or whatever. And then the second year I'd just forgotten about all that altogether. I just ran with the thing, I, you know, I turned up to uni in pyjamas with a suit coat and you know like all the other you know it was a very express you know people were really trying different stuff out so you know it just took a little while for the other to wear off and then i realized where i really should be mm-hmm. interesting yeah and also i mean when you kind of there's there's two kind of last questions from me is that where do you think this is this is all all heading particularly in the in the in the context of local retail but equally that is actually supporting an, an artistic community and what what I mean by that is I think the the concept that you've actually really cracked I think is is one it's highly unusual mm. in in business because I think a lot of what you've actually done is you've actually grown a way to distribute products I know you're talking before about that they have um, an ability to replicate mm. but equally you've actually created a way for them to actually distribute 
tribute, mm-hmm. you know, a range of stuff that you wouldn't actually often see and they wouldn't necessarily have a voice for either. But mm-hmm. I'm always interested about how to how you maintain that and where you actually see the future of stores like this, not necessarily your own store, mm-hmm. but where is this actually all heading in a world where, you know, we're in Instagram storyland, buy it instantly, and it, it all feels very manufactured, even though a lot of it is actually crafted. I'm just interested in your take on that. Mm, I think uh, I think more. I think I think there's a process that happens. So you meet people at a particular point in their career, and if they do a really good job, and I saw this when I was in fashion as well, if they if they do it well, they'll end up. You know, they'll find larger distribution than stores like mine. So. Uh, a good example is this really talented interior design architect called Lauren Stella, who a, has a brand called Champco. So she started out with these uh, these uh, rubber trivets that are made from a, a recycled aeroplane tires. They're actually an industrial flooring material or a residential flooring material. Um, and they're, uh, they're tessellated shapes, so you can fit them together and they make patterns. Yeah, it's cool. a really smart concept. Um, and they've just did really well and then she thought oh what can i do with the offcuts and so because the material is pretty impervious and light she started making jewelry out of it um and that's going really well for her so she's kind of come through she put her first you know drop of jewelry in here actually as a kind of test market she's opening a store uh tonight actually in 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 west melbourne in north melbourne so you know and and at christmas time she put you know uh her earrings through 47 gorman stores so there's a trajectory that happens and you know we can't always keep the same people which is something i made the mistake of doing early on where i kept on supporting the same people endlessly and then you know eventually they find more and more places to take them and you know it gets harder and harder to move that stock so the future for places like this is that you need or any place like this is that you need to that stock needs to be fresh all the time i don't Mm -hmm. mean you've got to continue supporting people but you've got to also keep bringing things through that are unexpected you've got to that's the reason why we have regular exhibitions because it keeps changing the space up so it's uh, part of it is a is um uh, a bit of um a set dressing so we're constantly not me so much but eddie is constantly moving what we have around and one of the common responses to that is i haven't been in here before but it didn't look like this and that's really in, in key if you're going to be bricks and mortar is that it's that it's that it, that it's that it's not predictable that that it, that it doesn't look the same so part of that goes to letting go of things that you know are on that trajectory and move outside your your sphere and the other is that you're constantly refreshing and changing and having things go, you know you, the, the the pressure's on you you've really got to you've really got to be um providing a lot of entertainment really for people um because you know one of the things that's happened that we've really noticed it in the last two years is you know people will come into the store and they'll particularly on weekends and they'll say oh what a beautiful store and then they'll leave without anything so and they've never been in here before so there's a thing where people are quite happy just to take the um the um experience value of being in here as the thing that they're going to get they don't need a product they just want to be in this space whether they've heard about it or not Mm -hmm. um so i think honestly and i'm not 
that this kind of I, I've said a couple of times over the last sort of six months that I run a 19th century business in the 21st century and that's not because we're not online sure that's kind of a part of it but it never worked for us I think the other is just that people think they want this but they don't they don't they don't really want it enough to use their money in it mm. um, so it takes an awful lot of work to make them use their money which is by making them think that what they're looking at now will not be here tomorrow. So they've yeah. got their whole purchasing uh, psyche has been evented. So whether that event is a, a, a maker market, which are a very strong pull in our category, mm-hmm. where all of the people that I show can show on for three days over a weekend and people think, oh, my God, I should go down there and support those people. And so, you know, one of the taglines we've developed here when we advertise is, you know, supporting Melbourne's designers every day since 2007, not the three days, you know, before Mother's Day or the three days before Christmas, every day since 2007. So, you know, um, so people are really being drawn into that and and that's really changing their spending uh, capacity and the the way they, they spend. So, you know... Being able to, it's very difficult to head that off. So, um, you know, it's it's a considerable challenge. Yeah. Mm. I will hand it over to Joe, but I'm just impressed to hear how you've um, found yourself a little niche and then found a niche within that niche and have, have a clear idea of where this could head and what you hope for it to head and then also the fact that you're entering back into the sphere as a, an arts practice um, practitioner and wish you lots of luck and look forward to seeing how that happens um for yourself so good luck no problem fantastic i just wanted to say one thing is that um that i think the where this goes forward is Mm. that that you can have bricks and mortar but it can't be fixed it can't be not that it's going to pop up all over the place but that whatever the space offers it has to be transitional all the time Mm. so that there that that that, that it piques people's curiosity until something happens and changes the way people think about spending. But I think, you know, whether it's that it's one week it's events and then two months later there's a load of stuff that you created when you're on holiday in India or however that works, yeah. that's how it has to be for the future. Yeah, yeah. And I, look, I think that's that's a terrific insight that a lot of people can, can learn from is that, you know, we do live in a world of peak stuff. Mm. You know, most people who have disposable income broadly have everything that they could ever actually require. So, you know, coming back to your metaphor of the kind of the 19th century, um, kind of it's, it, you know, it really is about the curiosity shop that actually yeah. gives you something that actually really brings that brings that to you. And, you know, I think that that insight plus put together with kind of the, the focus on local and actually, you know, your propensity to actually support people not just before um you know they've got talent but maybe they don't even realize it themselves so you know the the last question i had i had for you is kind of if you if you looked back um you know and you could give a piece of advice to younger alistair Mm. you know is kind of actually actually coming through that and perhaps that's a metaphor for other artists as they actually start to come through this through this life i mean what would you what would you say uh, I, my uh, my advice to myself would have been to trust myself more. I think you know uh, I was probably at the one on the one hand I was keen to dive in, but I was also risk averse, so I was being pulled in two directions at the same time. And I think I think that's I think it's really important, particularly when you're under thirty, is like just give it a go. I mean, what's the mm. worst that can happen, you know? And so 
yeah, I think, and, and and you do you do see that. I mean, people giving it a go, and it's great. And, and I, that's the only advice I give myself is, and not to be swayed by um, other people's ideas about what you should be. <laughs> Sounds like you've taken that on vice as well. Um, oh, I have. Re-getting into your artwork. Yeah. No. I had one other question sure. was, what are your typical buyers coming through here and has it changed over time or has it been a classic similar buyer profile, I suppose? No, it's changed. So initially it was a cohort of people that lived here that were had probably... Uh, were probably undergraduate at some point and then had stayed on and they really liked the community and the way it felt. Um, They were part of this kind of creative and sustainable community that really changed Brunswick East, Brunswick at large. Um, And really, you know, it's a classic uh, kind of um, uh, inner city thing that happens as part of the process of gentrification. You know, creative people move in, make it look really great and cool, and then marketing people who have buildings go oh wow well i can market that to people who live in box hill but would like to live closer to the city so so our our audience was probably mostly female 18 to 35 when i first was here and then now it's older it's um i would say one of the constant profiles is a mature woman 45 to 65 who really knows herself knows what she wants has the disposable income believes in you know creativity you know the broadest possible sense in the arts um and wants to support that um and you know finds this environment you know really enticing now they're buying things for their grandchildren um and then the other profile of course because of the change in the area there's a lot of young families so that's why this room went from furniture to children's books um so you know, uh, so we so we have quite a diverse audience. So those two are the kind of new norm, and then the other, which has never existed before, are international tourists. You know, so if you've got Eddie had writing, uh, you know, for his in-flight magazine last year, did a thing on Brunswick East, which is seems crazy. You know, like it's a tiny blip on the map, but you know, it was a cool place for people to go. So now we have visitation from from you know from from overseas tourists who have come all the way up from the city which is part of the reason why we created this map because so many people get here and then go oh where else should we go because it's not like part of a continuous strip of interesting things to do no yeah no. so yeah so that adds to the charm it, that yeah. charm factor still it does but there. then it also like people are kind of expect they're going to go to i don't know somewhere else in the world where there's a you know where they would you know find other things that they could spend their time doing so and they're not necessarily all immediately visible as you walk along the street especially if you come at about sort of three o'clock in the afternoon cafes are closing bars aren't open yet that sort of thing mm. yeah Mate, thank you so much. It's been welcome. absolutely magical. So, you know, just just to close out, I mean, I think you know what's what's sensational about what you've been able to accomplish here, and I think what a lot of people can take from this is it's really the ability to actually create a place and actually be able to create a destination that actually does actually stand stand the test of time. But equally, I think that's part of one the environment that you've actually been able to create, but also the philosophy um, that that sits behind it. So, thanks thanks so much for uh, taking the time to kind of chat chat us through your story, and uh, you know, wish you all the best with what comes next for uh, Project Al. Thank you. Thank you for listening to BAU Business As Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.